preached in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown on Sunday, October 20, 1974, Reasons for Failure. I'd like to say a word this morning before reading the scripture concerning something that we don't too often talk about publicly. It deals with our radio ministry. It's very difficult somehow when we remember that we are now in our seventh year of broadcasting live each Sunday morning the service of worship from the very first Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown. We don't talk too much about this because it's a ministry, a mission. We feel that God has provided this opportunity of mission and ministry. I remember sitting in the session meeting back in 1968 when the offer was given to us by radio station WEEP, and they came and asked if we would consider the possibility of allowing people outside the area to be a part of our worship services. At the time, I remember, I was somewhat concerned about the time factor. Some people think I have disobeyed that particular problem and not adhering to closer time scheduling. But I remember we agreed to go on because at that time we had a 10-minute leeway on either side of the doom hour of 12 o'clock. I don't listen to the broadcasts. I can't hear them because I'm here. But I understand we have some tremendous music that comes on immediately following the benediction. <laughs> Somebody's been listening to the radio, I can see. Or if we do not finish, sometimes our sermons are punctuated with a benediction of lively music. Now, we are trying to correct that problem. It's a human error. And I'd better not talk too long about this or we'll be in trouble today. We have quite a decision to make here many mornings between the 5 of and 12 o'clock hour. Most of you do not know it, but on the back wall of the church there are signal lights which give the preacher warnings. And beside me, I have a six-digital electric clock that counts off the seconds and we have great moments of dilemma when I have seven more sermon minutes to go and only five minutes of radio time left. And the decision which I usually reach is that we will continue with the sermon as the Spirit leads. So consequently, we apologize to those of you who have indicated to us that they regret that sometimes they do not get the end of the sermon. We'll try to correct that situation. But we are very grateful for the many, many letters that we received over this six-year period, especially those that we have been receiving since we went on WEEP-AM, and now are 50,000 kilowatts in power and reaching the parts of five states. And one of the great miracles to me is that with this microphone that is only more than just three inches in diameter, the power of God through my voice can be heard clear into the state of Kentucky. We're very grateful for this opportunity and privilege, and 
The only people it seems to be hard on are members of Bakerstown Church who think on a rainy morning they can stay home and worship by radio. And some of you are listening this very moment, and I want you to hear it. I do encourage those of us who are privileged to be a part of this ministry, please support it with your bodies as well as with just only your ears, and we give God the praise and the glory for the opportunity of this great ministry. Read with me now, please. Philippians, the third chapter, beginning at the twelfth verse. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brethren, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, for running what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature be thus minded, and if anything for if in anything you are otherwise minded, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Amen. Everybody wants to be a somebody and nobody. Nobody wants to be a nobody, and I earnestly believe that no one wants to be a failure. People attend worship not only to come into the church to sing praise to my almighty God and to give thanksgiving, but also with the expectation that they will receive some spiritual help and support so that in the days to come they can keep their lives from becoming failures. And there's nothing wrong with this reason as to why one comes to worship. I think that people have a right to expect to hear from the Word of God something that will enable them to become successful. There are people who do not like, in any phase of life, to be found less than successful. But God, I think, though he maybe defines success differently than do we, is one who also likes to see us become something other than failure. Otherwise, I don't think God would have said through Jesus Christ, his Son, our Lord, I have come to bring you life and to bring it more abundantly. I believe he does want us to enjoy the fulfillment, achievement, and the success that comes with living up to the potential that he has placed within us at creation. But if God wants us to succeed, and if none of us wants to fail, why then do people fail? 
God. Rotten luck, bad turn of events, lack of opportunity, expertise, not being in the right place at the right, at the right time. Well, you've heard them. You've heard them all. But folks, please remember these are excuses, not reasons. And there's a big difference between an excuse and a reason as to why people fail. One reason, I think, is that some people fail because they lack a specific Christ-centered goal. They really don't know where they're going. They're like a rudderless ship, and they're tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. They really don't have any particular purpose, no specific goal which is Christ-centered that they are reaching for, trying to attain. I don't know whether or not you understand it. I know many people who don't like it. But the fact still remains that our Creator has fashioned us to be goal-striving individuals. We work best, that is, our bodies, our minds, our spirits, our emotions work best when they are trying to attain and achieve some specific goal. We really find out who we are only after we have set our sight on some goal and in trying to achieve that goal, that is when we find out what we can do, what we cannot do, when we develop, when we grow, when we overcome our limitations, and when we live to the fullest of our potential. Today you hear much about people, not only young people, but people of all ages who are trying to find themselves. You've read articles on it, you've heard people say it. I'm not quite sure what they mean when they say that somebody is trying to find himself. Some of them think that the way a person does this thing, which is so hard to understand, is by granting them freedom. Give them enough time, give them enough opportunity, let them experiment. And sooner or later, They'll find out who they are, and then they can get down to the serious business of living. Now, I don't know if you agree with that philosophy, but my interpretation is that Jesus did not. It's not sound psychologically nor theologically. But if I understand our Savior, the way he worked it with his disciples was first by giving them goals and then enabling them to find out who they were by trying to attain those goals, not waiting first for them to find out who they were before they could achieve. He constantly was setting goals before the disciples. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's a goal. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will take care of themselves. That's a goal. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's a goal. Do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. That's a goal. 
And even before they really knew that they were disciples, privates in the army of God, Christian soldiers, onward marching towards battle, they had a goal. And in achieving that goal, it eventually dawned upon them who they were. You see how it works? Set the goal, and you'll be surprised to find out not only the limitations, but the potential that God has placed into you. And ladies and gentlemen, no one of us lives on the highest level of potential that God has placed within you. Now, Paul understood that. That's why he said what we are using for our text today. This one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to, lie, well, to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward, not downward, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Okay. What's your goal? What is your specific Christ? centered goal today. If you don't have one, the chances are that you will fail in really finding out who you are. If you don't have one, ask God who created you for one. Talk it over with him through prayer. Seek a goal, and even if it's the wrong goal, believe me, if you are sincere in trying to find a Christ-centered goal, he'll turn you around. He'll turn you around by the power of his Spirit so that you will find a goal. But for goodness sake, for the kingdom's sake, for your sake, have a goal, a specific Christ-centered goal goal. And when you attain that goal, get another goal, and another, and another, and press on to that upward call of God. That's the goal. That's the prize in Christ Jesus. Some people fail simply because they have no Christ-centered goal. Now, other people fail not because of the lack of a goal, but because they refuse to visualize or to assume the role that they are to play in that goal. They really cannot believe that they'll ever attain that goal. Their dream, as far as they can concern, is it's, it's, it's an impossible dream. They never visualize themselves in their dreams of ever attaining that goal for which they think they have been created. God, pity the people who cannot dream. God, pity the individual who cannot see himself or herself have already attaining that goal. Where are you in your dreams? Here? Or out there? 
There's a particular concept that is taught in some psychology books which says that if you hold a picture of yourself in your subconscious, if you hold it there long enough, eventually, whether that picture is good or bad, you will become precisely that kind of a person. In other words, if you think negatively, destructively, if you think of yourself as a failure, as an individual who is inept, if you hold that picture long enough, eventually you will become that particular type of a failure. If, on the other hand, you hold in your mind the picture of being successful, of already attaining, of achieving, and of winning the prize, then the chances are you will become that kind of person. Now, different psychologists call this theory or this concept by different names. I don't know if you believe in that particular concept of psychology, but Jesus did. Jesus did, and he lived before any psychology book was ever written. But why else do you think that he said to his disciples, people who were nothing more than sinking sand, you are the salt of the earth. People who, who, who were hiding their lights under a bushel basket, he said to them long before they became it, you are the light of the world. These men, people, were really not producing much in the kingdom, yet Jesus said, I am the branch, or I am the vine. You are the branch. He was trying to set up in their minds not only what they were, but who they could become. And they did become the light, the salt, the fruit of the earth. And it was because Jesus had helped them to visualize themselves of attaining that goal before they had actually attained it. Do you get the concept? Today, where are you picturing yourself as having arrived? People fail, ladies and gentlemen, when they do not have that mental picture of where they hope to be tomorrow, next week, next year. They fail. Not because they don't have a goal, but because they refuse to assume or visualize themselves, themselves in the role which they are to play in the goal. And then some people fail, not because they don't dream, not because they don't have some vision, but simply because they refuse to pay the toll. The goal, the role, and the toll. And if you are to succeed in life, and I don't care if it's in business, professionally, in your home, or spiritually, you have to pay the toll. No matter what you talk about, no matter how you envision yourself, 
if you don't pay the price. You fail. And Christian goals are never easy to attain. Like the rich coal and gold that is the deepest in the ground and the hardest to dig. The greater your Christian goal, the harder it will be to attain and the more it will cost you in tools. Time. So it cost you time. Talent. Which God has loaned to you as long as you're allowed to have a body here on earth. It's going to cost you those talents. Your treasure. It's going to cost you your treasure. But after all, our leader, our hero, our commander-in-chief, it cost him his life to gain the goal which he had here in life, and that was to bring salvation to you and to me. But it cost him. And if it cost him, it's going to cost you and me, not only our time, our talents, our treasure, but it might as well cost us our lives. And unless you're willing to pay that toll, don't have a Christian goal. Because it's only going to confuse you and the kingdom, and it's only going to create problems for you and for the kingdom. But if you have a goal, pay the roll and pay the toll. Remember the ancient story about the philosopher to whom a young lad one day came and said, Master, I want knowledge. And said the teacher, How much do you want knowledge? I really want knowledge. Fine, let us see, said the teacher, and he took the young lad. Together they went out to the sea coast. Then they waited out until the water reached the little boy's chin. And then the wise philosopher grabbed the boy by the shoulders and he shoved him under. And the boy kicked and he squirmed and he fought for release. And then just a second before the point of drowning, he released the boy and the boy surfaced. Coughing and dragging, the two of them went back to the seashore, and after they were safe again on ground, the professor, the philosopher, said unto the young boy, Tell me, son, when you were beneath the water, what did you want more than anything else in all of this world? Master, I wanted air more than anything else in the world. Son, you want knowledge as much as you then wanted air. You will have knowledge. When you and I want the goal we think that Christ has set for us, more than anything else, which means more than our time, more than our treasures, more than our talents, yes, even more than the ones that we love here on earth. Do and anyone will we attain that goal. And my only hope for you and for me is that that goal is Christ's Son. <coughs> if 
because that's the only kind of a goal that I think is worth living or dying for. And that's what it takes to succeed and not to fail. Amen. Our Father and our God, you've given us so much here in life. You haven't even used one-tenth of the potential you have given. You have blessed us so that we are to become a blessing. You want us, Lord, to be instruments of yours. Help us to establish these goals. Help us to see ourselves as co-workers with thee. Help us to make those sacrifices so that our priorities are correct and so that our mission is not taught but is successful. In the name of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of his Holy Spirit be and abide with you all now and forevermore. Amen.